0: Hey, Real Talkers, tough news recently. It looks like planet Earth is looking at a three degree temperature increase. Forget about that degree and a half cap. Meantime, the carbon tax is like defeating itself. The plastics ban loses at the Supreme Court level. It's tough headlines for climate activists. So how do we actually save the planet in real meaningful ways? We explore it with Seth Klein in our three-year anniversary edition of Real Talk.
1: This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: Hey everybody, it's our third birthday today. And we're not going to be shy about it and pretend like we didn't notice. We're not going to pretend like we didn't have November 23rd circled on our calendar because it's really important to us this morning that we say thank you to you for continuing to show up for Real Talk every weekday morning. You know, we launched this program on November 23rd of two thousand and twenty unsure of what lay ahead of us. We didn't know what the media landscape would look like. We had never tried something like this before. Technically, we didn't know if we could pull it off, but we were pretty convinced that there were Canadians, in particular Western Canadians, that would be very interested in an independent, unbridled program that promised real talk on news, politics, and pop culture. And over the past three years, over more than 700 episodes, you have continued to show up, and we're so grateful for that. We want to welcome new audience members. We know that you're out there because you're telling us. We see the new names in the chat. We see the new names in the email inbox And we want to thank Real Talkers like Anna as well, who have been here since day one. John, the minute that we mentioned that our birthday was looming on yesterday's episode, we got a few emails uh, into our inbox. Some of them we're going to read through the course of this week uh, on Friday's show as well. But this one from Anna jumped out at us because it arrived right after the podcast went out. Her subject line says, I've listened to every episode. She says, Ryan and John, I've listened to every single episode of Real Talk. Maybe not the day of but eventually I get around to all of them. She says, I'm also a patron of yours. I support the show on Patreon, and I have been from the very beginning, even after I moved to Kelowna. Oh, maybe you passed her on the highway when you were moving back from Kelowna to come saw her work there. here. Yeah. Maybe you saw her there. She says, I just want to say congratulations on three full years of episodes and wish you all the best in the coming year from Anna from Kelowna. Anna, we sure appreciate that. And to everybody else as well. We're grateful to have John on board as this show continues to <laughs> grow oh, thank and you. improve. Thank you so much. And it really means a lot to us that we're able to keep yeah. doing this, keep doing what we love.
2: It's been a fun ride, man. And we came from humble beginnings. I yeah. mean, we don't. we can say it now. We didn't want to say it then, but we were in a broom closet. And now we've upgraded, <laughs> I mean, a third floor Mercer building, an amazing studio, three rooms right across uh, from Rogers Place in the heart of downtown Edmonton. Every day I walk to work, I, I'm just so grateful to be right here in the heart of the city and bring you guys this content every day. Well,
0: and it means a lot to us. And you know that the show is about a lot more than just the show. Uh, yeah. Anna mentions uh, being a patron of the show, of course, you know that we've held election-watching parties. We've had bourbon tastings. We're, we're proud uh, to support charitable events. Our Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic is coming up in February. The registration's open for that, by the way, right now at ryanjesperson.com. Just go to events. Uh, we're capping it at 24 teams uh, to make sure that the event runs as seamlessly as possible and we just have the maximum amount of fun in support of charity. And, of course, the Real Talk Golf Classic, which goes on June 20th, of 2024. That'll be our third annual golf classic. You know, we've raised uh, just under like five grand under $100,000 already for the Real Talk Julie Rohr scholarship. All of this stuff is happening all around us. Um, and to be very immodest for just a second, we really <laughs> appreciate it. it arrived earlier this month. Our little yeah. badge from Podbean, which you never know when those are going to arrive. We don't track the numbers that closely, but 5 million downloads five on the podcast. Million. another few million streams additionally on youtube uh when we hit that 10 million number we're gonna have a big party as well oh yeah and of course that means to us that there's a real appetite out there for conversation about issues that matter and in particular conversation that can go where it needs to go and we know that that's why you're here that's why we're here and we promise you an amazing year ahead as we officially launch Season four of Real Talk today. Seth Klein is going to be joining us in 30 seconds, and he's going to explain to us exactly what we need to do to save the planet. We're going to talk about how the, the carbon tax is sucking up all of the political oxygen, as he writes in the National Observer. The federal government is promising to appeal the supreme court's decision overturning its plastics ban Uh, the federal environment minister is quite right in saying we got a big problem with plastics but the supreme court i would imagine a lot of people probably think makes a pretty strong point as well saying that saying all plastics are toxic is a bit of an overreach so what's the solution we've heard there's islands of plastic the size of texas floating around in the ocean does anybody care Of course we care. So Seth's covering all of this, plus the idea of a youth climate core. Uh, We'll get into that. This episode is presented by Business Career College and they've got a very simple message. For those of you that are tuning in today, if you're looking for a rewarding and high-paying career, but there's one thing, one thing always in the back of your mind, you never went out and grabbed a university degree, guess what? It doesn't matter. You can get started as an insurance professional today with Business Career College. Insurance agents in Canada are typically starting close to sixty grand a year, and they can quickly rise up to 90000 annually, and all you need is that certification. Well, Business Career College is here to help you get exactly that. They've got a team of professionals that are gonna help you understand life insurance, property and casualty insurance. Plus they're passionate about helping you launch your career. Here's the deal. There's a special for Real Talkers today tuning in. You can save 15% off any BCC insurance course, any of them. And there's a whole bunch just use the promo code REAL TALK. That's all one word, REAL TALK, when you get started today at BusinessCareerCollege.com. Of course, if you pay attention to matters of climate, commentary on climate in Canada, you know our next guest well. Seth Klein is the author of A Good War, Mobilizing Canada for the Climate Emergency. He's a public policy researcher. He's the team lead at the Climate Emergency Unit, and he's a columnist with Canada's National Observer. He's been here before, and we're grateful he's agreed to join us again. Seth, a very good morning to you.
3: Welcome back to the show. Nice to be back with you, Ryan. Happy birthday. I'm honored to be joining you surprisingly on your birthday thank you we thought we could stack the episode the
0: birthday episode with a whole bunch of guests or we thought we could just leave extra time to talk to one really good one and that's what we've done today Um, you were one of the first ones I told you this when I reached out to you a while ago and when we see these these so-called climate stories swirling around um, the Supreme Court ruling twice kind of against the feds in the last while a couple of pretty high profile stories one of them on energy infrastructure and expansion the other one on the plastics ban and then of course there's a whole bunch of talk on on whether or not the liberals are probably most to blame for doing the most damage to, to their crown jewel on policy which is the carbon tax and nobody's attacked the carbon tax more effectively than the government that rolled it
3: out a number of years ago there's a lot to talk about right now There there is there's elements of truth in all of those uh, in all of those, Ryan, on the on the Supreme uh, Court stuff. I mean, sometimes they've sided with the Fed, sometimes with the provinces on these different climate related related topics. But underlying it all is a core challenge we face in Canada when it comes to confronting the climate emergency that a lot of other countries don't have to contend with. You know, for better or for worse, Canada is one of the most decentralized federations in the industrialized world. Um, and, you know, would it be easier tackling the climate emergency if we were a a, a singular state where, where one government could decide how to proceed? Probably. Those aren't the cards we're dealt. Um, so we're left stuck trying to navigate this quagmire of confederation and do this. A lot of provincial premiers, including your own, uh, aren't making this easier uh so sometimes you know i feel a little sorry for uh for the federal government as they try to move uh the dial on this my hope you know you alluded to my book i i i try to approach this question through the lens of what does it actually look and and feel like when we approach this like an emergency kind of like we did confronting fascism in the second world war Hmm. and you know Prime Minister Mackenzie King, he had to contend with a bunch of ornery premiers as well, and, and the same quagmire of Confederation. And yet, somehow, uh, as a country, they figured out how to work together and meet the moment.
0: I, I guess when when fascism is the emergency, you're, you you see it and you're, you're witnessing it because you're you're, you're noticing that borders are, are are being encroached upon, countries are being invaded. Uh, you know people are being loaded onto cattle cars I'm not saying that glibly or lightly I'm just saying that the reality of the threat at hand was staring people and smacking people in the face it couldn't be ignored so you have young people signing up to serve their countries to head overseas to fight people that were barely 18 years of age some of them even younger and then you look present day and, and you could draw parallels you could use those metaphors I mean, just ask people in certain communities in B.C. and Alberta that, that have seen record temperatures, farmers that are reporting drought like they've never seen before, wildfires that are out of control, floods that are demolishing entire communities. But for some reason, and I got into this with Charles Adler earlier this week, when affordability starts to really threaten people's way of life, when they can't find housing, which which again is not a small thing, then when they're pulled, the climate emergency starts to drop on their list of political priorities or the list of things that they report so-called caring about. Do you find that to be discouraging? Uh,
3: yes, and I think it speaks to a failure in how we are approaching this. So first of all, to your comparison, I mean like in the 1930s, we we are living at a time of polycrisis, as it's sometimes called. And um, that's a fraught time. And when you're in a time of crisis, things could go either way. You know, in the in, in the 1930s, the despair of the Great Depression, also a much more extreme form of an affordability crisis, um, gave birth both to fascism in Europe and the hope and promise of the New Deal south of us uh, under Roosevelt. It, leadership matters. The the kind of call from leadership to a public in a, in, a, in a time of crisis. To your earlier point. Um, You know, that to me is what's so inspiring about the World War II story that I like to draw upon. Canada was a population of about 11 million people then. Uh, So much smaller than we are today. Uh, Over a million Canadians enlisted. um, 64% of them under the age of 21. So this was a generation who understood the crisis. They left their farms. They delayed their careers. They deferred their studies because they understood the emergency to be in that moment. I give a lot of talks to young people across the country. Um, I have been convinced for some time that there are tens of thousands of them who once again understand the emergency and who are ready to serve in our collective defense. And they're like, where the hell is my invitation? Um, That's what's been missing. Because I had this hunch that there were so many of them, we commissioned this poll from Abacus Data that we released uh, a week or so ago. And even I was surprised by the results, Ryan. I, you know, uh, first of all, we found broad support across the country, across the political divide in favor of the idea of a youth climate core. So just take a step back and explain the idea here. The idea of a youth climate core would be to say to everyone under the age of 35, if you get the emergency, uh, you want to uh, enroll for two years in a an audacious youth a training and employment program uh, that can see us uh, confronting extreme weather events, making communities and the environment more resilient to to the coming climate events. Most importantly, engaging in the work that will drive down emissions like renewable energy and building retrofits. If you want to spend two years doing that kind of work, um, we have a place for you. Nobody will be turned away. So we put this out in the poll and we asked people, what do you think? So first of all, a majority of Canadians really like the idea uh, and a very small share uh, don't like the idea. But even a majority of Conservatives, Ryan, either support or, or uh, can accept this idea. So broad political support. But the most interesting question to me in the poll was one that we only asked people under 35. We said, if a program like this existed today, how likely would you be to consider uh, enrolling yourself? And they they could say definitely, or probably, or maybe, or variations of not interested. 65% of young people said they would consider joining. Um, And in fact, I thought maybe 5% would say definitely. 15% said definitely. Now, there's about about 9 million Canadians between 18 and 35, Ryan. So 15% is about 1.3 million Canadians Mm. saying... I get it. Sign me up. I, I'm ready to serve. And unlike in World War II, we're not offering them anything, which I think is a is a real tragedy. Sorry, I got distracted. You were asking about affordability. No, listen,
0: polls. no, I don't th- listen. This show is designed to to accommodate <laughs> distraction, rabbit <laughs> holes, musings, ruminations, and the like. So I-, I wanted to ask you about this youth climate core later, but let's talk about it now and I'll ask you about the carbon
3: tax and the plastics ban later, because I'm I'm really yeah, well, intrigued. let's, by let's this. come back to the affordability in the in the polls question. Let me just say this about that. It is no surprise when people are hurting and the cost of living is what it is that people prioritize that first um that's always been true um my argument has always been don't ask people to choose you need we need an approach to confronting the emergency that marries uh the the concerns people have about affordability and 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 all of those stresses with confronting the climate uh, crisis and that's well that's the approach we need to take
0: Uh, People can And and we'll punch the results of your Abacus data poll into the show notes On the podcast on YouTube, we'll punch it into the live chat As well, and then I want to let people know that you've also written About it uh, in Canada's National Observer, Uh, a plug for the National Observer By the way, they have a Black Friday subscription Sale on right now, we encourage people to support Independent journalism, including Canada's National Observer But let's get into the regions here You know, there's there's a a big audience that's Going to hear this show in Western Canada in particular Um, Alberta The interest lags a little bit in this Youth Climate Corps, but not grossly. And I'd love for you to analyze that. Nobody knows these numbers better than you and David Coletto.
3: Right, right. Yeah, well, so actually on that question I was just referring to, um, how likely would you yourself be to consider enlisting? Actually, support was highest on the prairies and in Atlantic Canada. So those parts of the country Uh, that are most reliant on fossil fuels. I'm just looking at the results here. So specifically in your province, in Alberta, 47% of Albertans between the ages of 18 and 35, 47% said they either definitely or probably would consider enrolling in a Youth Climate Corps if it existed, and an additional 20% said they would consider it. Um, You know, very strong results in in uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba as well, and as I say, in Atlantic Canada. Um, So I think for a lot of these young people, including in parts of the country that are currently uh, more reliant on the fossil fuel industry, they see the writing on the wall. uh, And they are saying, I would welcome the chance uh, to get trained up in a career that I could spend the next 20 years uh, uh, having more stable. Uh, living, making a more stable living, but also serving my country and my community meeting this emergency moment.
0: Huh. I don't know if this is relevant or not, uh, but but check out these numbers. I, I don't know what you make of this when it comes to the 18 to 35 crew. Uh, when asked if you strongly support the creation of a youth climate corps, I'm not trying to pick a fight here, uh, but the males uh, display a great, a greater degree of interest than the females, uh, yeah. 41%, 18 to
3: 35 strongly supported, 26% of women, w- what
0: do you read into that,
3: anything? You know, I actually wasn't surprised by that, um, but you are uh, catching on to an interesting element of the poll, mostly when when we poll on climate, um, women are more supportive of bold climate action than men. There's something about the call for a youth climate core that I think speaks to this hunger uh, among a lot of younger men that they they're looking for a different kind of call a different kind of invitation they have they 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 feel more acutely that sense of abandonment from the the current status quo and that idea you know it's frankly it's similar to the appeal from the military that can be attractive uh, to some young men who just want to roll up their sleeves and get the work done for me You know, when there's lots of youth training and employment programs out there, federally and provincially, but there's really only one national program that is, uh, you know, genuinely barrier free for young people, particularly young people from a more disadvantaged background. And it's the military. And, uh, you know, what we're trying to say with the Youth Climate Corps is let's give them something better. Um, And I and I think the polls indicate that the appetite is there.
0: Yeah. Uh, The the. It's it's interesting to see the political leanings of, of, I mean, these are the youngest voters, right, 18 to 35. Um, those that would say that their current federal vote uh, would be for the liberals, the NDs, or the Bloc Québécois are all right around the same. As a matter of fact, BQ uh, voters have the strongest support for the creation of a Youth Climate Corps, uh, followed by the NDs, 35%, let's say one in three, 30% of of the young liberal voting base, 17% of young conservatives, which is still, if I'm being generous, one in five. The strongly oppose crowd is interesting. Uh, It's almost negligible. Like less than 1% of of the current young liberal voters would say they strongly oppose the creation of a Youth Climate Corps. Uh, Everybody else, 3%, 5%. And then the conservative, the young conservative voter, 15 percent of them strongly oppose the creation yeah. of a youth climate corps. Um, I might draw my own conclusion from that, but what's yours?
3: Not terribly surprising that those who would be opposed would be concentrated among the conservative voters. Um, to me, Ryan, I'm more fascinated by the other side of that equation, which is that, you know, for example, if you look at overall, what do people think? Uh, about this idea, based on their political leanings, people who either support it or can accept it. So, as you point out, among liberal voters, NDP voters, Bloc Québécois voters, it's through it's you know through the charts, over ninety percent uh, who who either support it or can can accept it. Uh, but even even sixty four percent of con- conservative voters uh, like the idea because I think there is in this. You know, there is a core conservative value that is about protecting uh, future generations and the country and a call to service that I think is appealing there. Uh, but it is not finding um, a counterpart in the leadership of the Conservative Party who are meeting this moment, frankly, with slogans, you know, no t- technology, not taxes. We are not going to prosecute the battle of our lives with catchy slogans um you know you can just to stick with the world war ii uh, metaphor here you know imagine if uh in the late 1930s we had had a conservative government that said you know we think the germans are the bad guys and it's not really an emergency uh if you if you want to go and volunteer You know, we wish you well, but we're not going to pay for it and we're not going to equip you um, and and good luck to you. We actually know how that goes, actually, because a few years before World War Two, that's exactly the approach the Canadians took to the volunteers who went to fight in the Spanish Civil War Uh. and they lost. Uh, uh, And uh, that's kind of the approach I hear happening. now.
0: Well, it's kind of the legacy in the UK of Neville Chamberlain to a certain degree. At, at least sort of underestimating Adolf Hitler and what was happening over there, right? And, 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 and almost 100 years later, if you invoke the name Neville Chamberlain, I haven't seen it in complimentary form even once.
3: Yeah. Well, I think what you're speaking to is that when we are actually in a time of emergency, sometimes we find that the leaders we have have to be replaced. And sometimes we find the leaders we have surprise us and become the people we need them to be. Uh, the, the British Conservative Party found they had to replace the leader they had, uh, uh, Chamberlain with with Churchill. In Canada, you know, if you had asked Canadians in 1938, this gang in Mackenzie King's cabinet, do they have what it takes to completely transform Canadian society and the economy, as was about to happen? I'm quite certain most Canadians would have said, no, not this lot. And they had no reason to believe otherwise because the same gang had done mostly nothing through the Great Depression. And it turns out they would have been wrong. Um, so you never know. Um, But we find ourselves in this awkward phony war period when it comes to confronting the climate emergency. And hopefully that uh, phony war period is going to end real soon.
0: If you're just tuning in, uh, maybe streaming the audio on the Mixler audio app uh, presented by California Closets, we're talking to Seth Klein um, you've perfectly set the table for us to talk about your next uh, piece or your most recent piece I should say in Canada's National Observer the Carbon Tax sucking up all the oxygen off the top of my head I think your wording was uh, you have this a little bit of a sense of dread a bit of a pit in your stomach that the next federal election is shaping up to see us relitigate climate wars of past will there be a change in leadership and would that be a positive uh, for the climate more with Seth Klein in two minutes but first uh, talking about education talking about young people do you- you dream of leading teams do you dream of making a real impact in the world or, or maybe you want an education that could lead to a fulfilling career in many thriving and growing industries Then nate's J.R. shaw school of business is your answer you have talent they have connections you have drive they have direction you have purpose they can apply it get down to business today with nate's jr shaw school of business you can learn more about applying at nate dot CA slash business. And then, once you've graduated, this is a shout-out going to those of you that are currently working. I'm calling all sparkies, those of you that have your ticket. You're working as electricians. Maybe you're in the oil field right now, or maybe you're an apprentice getting set to launch your career. Kubi Renewable Energy wants to hear from you. They are Canada's fastest-growing solar installer. We met with their team yesterday. It's unbelievable. You know, the numbers that they're hitting right now with regards to projects they're completing per month, Off the charts, but they're hiring, hiring, hiring because they want to do more. It's because people in industrial applications, commercial, agricultural, and of course, residential are realizing that their green energy goals are only a call away you can visit kubieenergy.ca to learn more about a free quote what it might look like cost wise investment wise to get solar up on your roof or visit the careers link to see what could work for you as you kick off your career with Kuby energy in bc or alberta working across western canada you know, I'll just talk with Seth about the climate emergency, the damage that we've been seeing, especially through the summer months, wildfires and floods. That's Complete Care Restoration's wheelhouse. 10 years ago, they launched out of a garage, a family owned business. And since then they've built their brand into one of the most trusted restoration companies in Western Canada. You know, you have a choice. If you read the small print, in your insurance policy, you've got a choice on who does the work If nightmare strikes your home or your business, find out more about why you should choose Complete Care Restoration by visiting their website at CompleteCareRestoration.ca or just take our word for it. We hired them to build out our studio just about three years ago and they did a magnificent job. We were so impressed by their professionalism. You can find them online again at CompleteCareRestoration.ca. And before we get back to Seth, this is a shout out to the dog and cat lovers out there. You know, we talk a lot about Grand Dog Essentials, quality raw food. They've got a great special on through the month of November, and this is a blend suitable for dogs and cats. They're knocking 10 bucks off their 40-pound boxes of beef-chicken blend raw pet food. Dogs and cats both love it because it's prepared using Alberta raised chicken and beef that's sourced from human-grade facilities, and they include the organ meat more than any other raw food blend in Alberta. Why does that matter? Well, organ meat is considered nature's multivitamins for your pets, so feeding those blends gives you the peace of mind that your pets are getting what they need from whole food sources you can check out a great post on their instagram to see those wolf dogs remember we told you they're they're sponsoring a wolf dog sanctuary they're donating 100 pounds of food every single day unbelievable you can follow grand dog essentials on instagram or see them online at granddog.ca
2: Shout out to Brian, Thomas, Dennis, and Lorne with uh, Super Chats all around celebrating our big anniversary today. Wow.
0: Yeah, Yeah, you can throw us five bucks in the Super Chat if you want, and John and I promise uh, that we will not spend even a cent of that on improving the company or improving our studio in any way that goes directly to stocking our beer fridge. Okay, okay. Yeah, that is going directly (laughs) to stocking our beer fridge so that when we can welcome our Patreon supporters and our Super Chat supporters to the studio, they can keep well watered. It'll be
2: great to have a little watch party in here. We've got lots of room. Also, big shout out to Kubi for giving us some winter coats and fleeces to keep us warm yesterday. I was wearing mine today on the LRT. Kept me nice and toasty. They were
0: were showing us their new Carhartt gear that they're going to be equipping Mm -hmm. all their installers with, telling us that they had solar installers. As we welcome back Seth Klein, solar installers up on the roofs yesterday, Seth. They said that they're already like two weeks past where they'd typically be installing solar because the weather's been so favorable, but That's not always a good thing, right? It's almost a bit of a harbinger. We've got, and, and I know that people say this is anecdotal, Jesperson. There have been weather trends through millennia. Don't try to apply what's happening right this minute as evidence of climate change. But it is pretty bizarre in the city of Edmonton. I'm driving home yesterday. My dash readout on my vehicle is telling me it's five degrees Celsius. There's not a fleck of snow. Nobody's got coats on. It's a bit of a different world.
3: Yeah, well, you alluded uh, to it earlier. I mean, every passing summer uh, becomes the the worst one we've seen in terms of uh, the fires like you experienced in your province, and I experienced mine in in mine in British Columbia. Um, The trends are really clear, we just have to listen to the scientists. uh, And uh, we're all going to be hearing a a lot about this next week. Um, And we have to move past this awkward period in which we find ourselves where where we're staring down this 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 gap between what the science tells us we urgently need to do uh, and what our politics seems prepared to entertain all that weird stuff you're referring to is happening in a world that is warmed by 1.2 degrees uh, we are on a path to 3 degrees and it's catastrophic it's not it's 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 not a place we would want any of our kids or grandkids to grow up in and we got
0: to double down. So we, we do this thing called the flamethrower every Friday where people can, uh, <clears throat> it's presented by our friends at the DQs, Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, a little plug for them there. But it is a chance for people to, to, to get something off their chest, like to, to say what needs to be said. And we've received probably more submissions over the last two weeks related to the climate than we have at any of the other periods throughout the show's existence over the past three years. And I think that part of that is the news cycle. You know, part of that is, is the liberals kind of owning themselves, nailing their feet to the floor on, on the Atlantic Canada heating oil, climate change thing, the conservatives capitalizing on that. Uh, people are sort of looking at the carbon tax as though it may be a thing of the past. Then there's the Supreme Court overturning the toxic plastics ban. Industry's pretty happy about it, but you got people that are seeing the evidence around them going, well, hang on, this seems like sort of back-to-back losses for climate yeah. activists, for people that care deeply about the climate. How are you processing the news cycle in that context?
3: Oh, like uh, like we're mostly losing. Mm. uh uh although at least i i feel like i'm mostly losing with good people uh you know i tell my team uh at the climate emergency unit when when people join us i say thank you for enlisting uh, it's a bit of a hail mary the path to victory uh is narrow and, and we're probably going to lose uh but uh what else are you going to do but do what you got to do with other good people um, if I may, Ryan, just uh, in, in the spirit of uh, shameless pitches here, um, and to go back to the the discussion about the Youth Climate Corps, if you have young listeners under 35 who who, who like this idea, um, I want to invite them to take an action on it and go to a website we've created called Good Green Jobs for All. Okay, Good Green Jobs for All, for F-O-F, written out F-O-R, not, not the number, Good Green Jobs for All. And we have this tool where it's a bit cheeky where instead of signing a petition, young people can uh, submit a mock cover letter to the federal government applying for a Youth Climate Corps job. Um, uh, sorry, good, good green jobs for all. That's oh, the, okay. the website that you've got there isn't quite the one. Uh, <laughs> you and, were, you uh, were very gracious on that. Uh, yeah, that's not uh, our website, guys. It's, yeah, It's all right. It's oh, all right. it's OK. Well, we'll um, find it. But next week. Uh, our crew in Toronto is going to bring hundreds of these fake uh, job applications to the federal ministers in person to say, look at all these young people who are ready to serve. For goodness sake, sign them up. Did we nail it this, this time, there, Seth, one- for for people watching? It, is this the right one? That is the one. So okay. you go to the action site there, and if, if you're under 35, you can you can fill out one of these mock-covered letters. But anyway, let's talk about the carbon tax fiasco. If you yeah.
0: Want. So this is goodgreenjobsforall.ca, and we'll punch that into the show notes. But yeah, so basically, you're not obviously thrilled to see, uh, I guess, what's happening with the carbon tax. I've, I've spoken many times with your colleague at Canada's National Observer, Max Fawcett, who's, who's been very adamant. He's planted his flag long ago that he believes that, that carbon pricing is, is, well, I shouldn't put words in his mouth, but basically. He's very bullish on the on the impact of carbon pricing. But you describe it as the carbon tax only ever a meager climate measure. In other words, you didn't think that this was the magic bullet from the very beginning.
3: I did not. I mean, look, all of this feels like some sick Groundhog Day movie. Um, uh, We have spent the bulk of the last 15 years arguing about the carbon tax. Mm -hmm. I do. just, Just to be clear here, I do support carbon pricing. I just don't think it's the end all and be all. I don't think it's the the, the core path to victory in this battle for our lives. Uh, and mostly, I think, in the face of an emergency, we need urgent forward momentum and we need to not be re-prosecuting fights that are already over and done with. That's what appears to be where we're headed in the next federal election. We're gonna have a provincial election here in British Columbia in 11 months, and the table is set. We're gonna re-prosecute the same election debate that we had 15 years ago, and it's a path to hell. Um, It it has always bothered me that swaths of the environmental movement and and academic economists and a whole bunch of politicians have put way too much stock in the carbon price as, as a tool for what we need to do. Again, let me be clear. I think there is an, a, a core logic to carbon pricing. Uh, it, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's sort of key to a basic principle of polluter pay. Um, and that uh, you know economists talk about externalities as a problem, by which I mean people and industry shouldn't be able to treat our shared atmosphere like a free toilet. And so it makes sense to put uh, a price on that. And, uh, and use the money to help meet the moment, to get the job done and to give robust rebates to lower income households. Uh, we can and should do all of that, but that is not an emergency response. In the face of an emergency, we urgently need to be spending what it takes to, to win. We need to be creating audacious new institutions like the Youth Climate Corps, like a whole new generation of Crown Enterprises to mass produce and deploy the technologies that we we urgently need to get off fossil fuels and decarbonize we need to be moving from vo- my main beef with the carbon tax is that it's voluntary it's 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 kind of a uh you're sending a price a market signal and you you're hoping to incentivize industry and consumers to shift their spending again coming back to the war uh, imagine if that's how we prosecuted the second world war with these sort of price signals and and enticements and encouragements uh this is more serious um we got to tell the truth and and move to mandatory measures as as necessary um and for those who are uh reliant on the fossil fuel economy we need to make an audacious and compelling and hopeful counteroffer where they can see themselves
0: OK, I want to ask you for specifics on that in just a second. Obviously, people need to read your full piece at nationalobserver.com dot com. It was published on November 20th, where you point out that as B.C. was lauded uh, for first introducing a carbon tax in 2008. And wasn't that right around the time that Alberta's premier Ed Stelmack was talking about the same thing? I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was, it was right around that time. I'm always looking for shouts out for Alberta, of course. Uh, but you say, you, you say the distressing truth is that BC's greenhouse gas emissions in 2021, uh, the most recent data that we have, uh, stood at about 59 megatons, two megatons less than in 2007, the year before the tax was introduced. So you say, yeah, emissions would have been higher without it, given population economic growth, but still 14 years with precious little progress to show. As you say, ultimately, the planet doesn't care if our greenhouse gas emissions are relatively lower than what might have occurred under status quo. It's time to dramatically bend the curve. When you start talking about things like dramatic policy changes, uh, dramatic behavioral changes, this is when people and for good reason, people start to get really skittish. So what does that well, look like?
3: I mean, I would say they need to get skittish about the status quo. When you, Look, at the end of the day, this is all about greenhouse gas emissions. That's all that matters. Everything else is a policy tool. The end goal is we have to get our greenhouse gas emissions way down, ultimately to zero in a couple of decades, or our kids are going to live in a hellscape. What we have managed to do as a country and what we have managed to do in my province of British Columbia with a carbon tax is simply to... Plateau our emissions at an historic high. Um, if that trend continues, our kids are in very big trouble. We have to bend the curve uh, and make our way uh, to zero. The kinds of policies uh, like carbon pricing and these tax incentives for green energy and so on, they're all going to help. They are going to start to bend the curve, but not at the pitch and pace uh, that the science and justice uh, demands uh of us at this at this late hour so again i want to be clear i support carbon pricing because if we didn't have it in my province the situation i think would have been worse Uh, but but in the end you know the 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 great uh the great climate author and champion bill mckibben says to to win slowly on climate is to lose Hmm. the atmosphere doesn't care uh if we're plateauing or or modestly lowering our emissions. That's what matters is the accumulation of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And if we don't uh stop it over the next couple of decades, we're in big trouble.
0: Uh on November seventeenth on the show is our, our most recent Real Talk Roundtable. So last Friday, uh, people can look for the episode titled Broke, 30% of Canadians Can't Afford to Live. We welcomed three panelists, so three members of the IRPP's new uh, Affordability Action Council. And we talked about how, uh, let me say, they talked about how they're the experts, not me, on how you can co-prioritize affordability and climate action and in particular they were talking uh seth about housing affordability then they talked about what policies they'd like to see to address both when we talk about climate action and affordability in your wheelhouse so you know that any government uh, provincial or federal that's going to come out there and say we're introducing bold new climate policy some people you know and you know what the protest placards will say people will say i can't afford to heat
3: my home or i'm choosing yeah. between this and that right now how right. dare you so well, what- we have to connect them yes and it's great so- to- you it's great that you had those guests and I'm thrilled that they've come together and launched this affordability uh, Action Council but let's dig into some examples that would do just what you were getting at if in you know this whole fiasco we find ourselves in is is this the floodgates have been opened by the this boneheaded move by the federal government to exempt uh home heating from oil home heating from the carbon tax for three years Um, people who heat with oil are hurting um, and they needed help. Um, But there were so many other ways that we could have done this without throwing the government's keystone policy into turmoil. And I'm sure your previous guests talked about some of them. Uh, we could increase the carbon tax rebate. We could increase the GST rebate. We could eliminate the GST entirely from electricity bills to further encourage people to make the switch. Most importantly, if you heat with oil, as many people do in Atlantic Canada, less so in the rest of the country, we need to get them off oil and liberating, liber, liberate them from escalating uh, oil prices and urgently get them onto heat pumps. Now, now, here's a counterexample. In Prince Edward Island, under a conservative provincial government, if your household income is under $75,000 a year, they just give you a heat pump. Um, why aren't we just doing that? That's what we need to do to urgently say to people, we understand uh, how stressful these 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 monthly bills are. Uh, we're with you. And we're going to help you uh, get off of this entirely in short order. Um,
0: I, I, I have an interview coming up. <clears throat> I think it's going to be next week. I haven't announced it yet, but we're going to talk specifically about heat pumps. Because to be honest with you, um, I don't speak for all of Western Canada. I mean, you're in Western Canada, but I think the majority of us don't really know much about them. And so we're we're seeking to understand. I, I talked to. I'm glad you are. Yeah, and and one friend of mine. Uh, now that, you're, you're going to roll your eye. Oh, one friend of yours. Okay, great. But but oh, one friend of mine reached out to me. He has a heat pump at his cabin. And he told me, actually, I don't know much about it, but he told me that he uses it more, as a matter of fact, for air conditioning in the summer. He has it up sort of in the attic where the kids play. Uh, He says it's insufficient to heat. He said, I could never heat the whole cabin with it. This is a progressive thinking guy. I don't know that they're appropriate for this part of the country. Are they?
3: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, first of all, uh, I I have converted my home off natural gas, uh, so-called natural gas, and onto a heat pump. and, uh, And it's fantastic. So... To one of your points, uh, conveniently for my family, uh, we happened to do it just before the the extraordinary heat dome event in uh, 2021 that uh, killed 600 people in British Columbia. Brutal. Um, They are remarkable as air conditioners uh, in the summer, Um, but they also work very well in the winter. Your friends heat pump a lot depends on the age. You know, heat pumps have come so far in the last in the last 10 years um they're first of all they're so much more efficient and cost effective but also much more effective in in cold weather than any heat pump that someone might have had that's 10 years old with my heat pumps and by the way my heat pump is not one of the new cold weather heat pumps so we had a bout of weather last winter where we were uh, uh, under 20 for a number of days uh, we were fine no backup um uh if you're at minus 30 the new heat pumps the cold weather heat pumps can certainly handle minus 30. And on those few days when you need something more, you know, use a plug in electric or use use a, a, a fireplace or whatever. But uh, so there there are some places that could use a little bit of backup, whatever. But I can tell you that I have no backup and I have never needed it.
0: OK. And you know what the what the Alberta crowd like the the, the Alberta government would say to you right now, too, is, you know, all of this. Uh, Asking to draw more, you know, power from a grid that's being fast tracked to be net zero by 2035. I don't blame people for, for feeling torn in different directions on this debate because it makes perfect sense to do what you're talking about. Uh, but on the flip side, the implications are that Alberta's grid needs needs to be able to hand. I know we should be having a national conversation here, but in particular, where we live, you know, the, what we're being told by government right now is it sounds to me like the, the grid is in a precarious state. And they're having to scale up capabilities to brace for population growth. And that solution is natural gas. And there's no way they can get it to net zero in the next 12 years like Minister Gibbo wants.
3: Yeah, I hate this defeatism, you know that says we can't do something like this over a 10-year period we absolutely can and again i go back to my my war metaphor of the the remarkable transformation that we did twice in the space of six years uh uh ramping up military production and reconverting to peacetime i just it just makes me so aggravated that that level of defeatism the places in North America that have struggled in particular with uh with power outages and so on like your province like Texas um it's actually been the fossil fuel uh elements of the grid uh the power generation that have been the ones conking out in Texas last year it was actually ironically here the heart of oil country in Texas Texas actually leads the U.S. in a lot of the renewables, and th- and lucky them because it was the renewables that saved their Keister uh, when their grid was uh, in trouble. So look, we have a lot of work to do to not only get off coal, but to get off natural gas in our electric grids, uh, to build a resilient system that is got a mix of renewables and battery and upgrades to the interprovincial grid. Uh, So that the electricity is there when we need it. We need solar uh, rooftops, so that uh, and and neighborhood geothermal so that there are local systems that don't rely uh, on on long transportation. We know how to do this Ryan. The technology in all of these cases is there. It's sitting on the shelf, and we have to approach it with a level of ambition that's been missing.
0: I want to respect your time. We've kept you way longer than we asked for. Do you have five more minutes or am I running you up against the clock with something? Five more
3: minutes and then I got to take my kid to school.
0: Five more minutes. And and I promise it'll be just that. Uh, Cheryl writes in and she says, "Uh, Jespo, I've been pondering a comment that Charles Adler made on the show on Monday about China's pollution versus Canada's. And it dawned on me that we, along with the rest of the world, have to take some or maybe a lot of credit for its higher levels of pollution or maybe even thank them for all that they're trying to do to lower their emissions. A very high percentage of the goods we happily consume are manufactured in China. So it only makes sense that Canadians should share responsibility for that pollution. Every one of our purchases turns into manufacturing implications and feeling smug about our low-carbon footprint. Relatively speaking, is like bragging that your kitchen is always immaculate when you only ever eat takeout. Add to the fact that Canadians have an extremely high per capita carbon footprint. We definitely should not be feeling superior in any way. What would you say to Cheryl? What would you say to the rest of us in closing?
3: I mean, I think she makes very good points. So first of all, to her her main point, it is true that uh, for years – wealthy places like Canada have offshored their pollution uh to China and to other other developing countries um and you know very often when I'm out there talking this question comes up Canada's small what about you know China what about India what about the United States what about the European Union they all have so much more emissions than we do look of course they have more emissions than we do they're bigger they have more people Um, but as Cheryl points out our per capita emissions are among the worst in the world. We got to get our house in order, Ryan. Um, and, uh, uh, um, And our per capita emissions don't count all the fossil fuels Uh, in your province and in my province that get extracted and exported and burned somewhere else if you captured the ghg emissions in all the fossil fuels we export it's double again our domestic emissions so we urgently need to get our house in order china is kind of kicking our butts on the transition to renewables frankly um but let me bring this full circle ryan to the conversation we were having at the top uh, about the war um in the war uh you know this line oh we're little we have a small population what we do doesn't matter look when Canada joined World War II we did so two years before the Americans and in most of those two years we were the only country in the Western Hemisphere engaged in that fight uh and we were much smaller then than we are today about a quarter of the size um and we met the moment and at the end of that fight nobody questioned the value and importance of our contributions I think we need to bring that spirit again.
0: As you write, we did it for the Second World War. We can do it again. You can learn more about Seth's book, Mobilizing Canada for the Climate Emergency. That's a good war by visiting his website, SethKlein.ca. We'll send your little one a note for showing up at school late today. It is all real talk's fault, not dad's fault. Thanks, Seth. Thanks, Ryan you got it you can let us know what you think about this interview I, I I saw a couple people you know critical of Seth which is perfectly fine in the live chat that's great we welcome fulsome debate we don't expect that everybody would agree what kind of a lame talk show would have the entire audience agreeing on everything uh, somebody I saw was calling him kind of like a doomsday prophet or something like that and yeah. and, and, and I don't know about that I mean there was some there was some um, uh, pretty significant research that was released uh, within the last couple of weeks that showed while well, we've had that 1.5 degrees Celsius number burned into our brains for the last few years yeah you know we need to keep uh you know the the, the global temperature increase under one and a half degrees over the next uh, period of time that, that now it appears inevitable that it's going to be three degrees and you might go well one and a half to three degrees what's the big difference i wouldn't even notice that the fact of the matter is uh, polar ice caps for, boreal forests everything else every degree every half a degree every smidge of an increase does translate lot. it does, it is Have you a ever lot turned the
2: heat up from 20 to 22 in your house and then you're like, oh, that's a little too hot. I'll go down to like 21 or whatever. It's a lot on a global scale. Sure. It's, it's going to affect everything. And
0: and also, we don't think really past our noses. Like, we're not thinking of our great-grandchildren's great-grandchildren's great-grandchildren. But, you know, the, the, you know whether or not this is a doomsday or type approach, mm-hmm. if you're thinking about the future of humanity on planet Earth as opposed to just our future over the next 10 years. Yeah then your perspective on it might be different.
2: And I like how he brought up the numbers about, you know, per capita. Because, you know, Alberta seems to beat its chest and, and be, like, proud. You know, we're, we're not the problem. China's the problem. But look at the numbers on a per capita scale. Also, that he brought up all the <laughs> the fossil fuels we're exporting.
0: That's such a good point. And they point. get
2: burned other places. And but, then those numbers double. So I would love it. And look, I'm not saying I'm 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 one of those guys I say this all the time on the show. We need all forms of energy. Wind, solar, hydro, nuclear. nuclear, let's get it all going at the same time. But let's reduce the ones that we know are having the biggest impact and I would love for Alberta to lead that pack and say, "Hey, we're responsible for putting this stuff out in the world, but hey, look, we're also and I know we're already doing a lot like mm. you know in terms of clean energy and and you know we're building wind we're building solar like crazy but i would love for us to be proud of the fact that we're like hey we're responsible for this so we're going to take
0: well, the initiative and you d- yeah, and 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 you can market it like Alberta can market yeah. itself as as Canada's energy hub. Yeah. You know, take the word energy and then own that word. Of course. You know, if you're living near Lethbridge, Badge let's, of honor. you know, anywhere in Crows Nest Pass, let's see more of those wind turbines. Let's see more of the solar fronts. We've obviously talked about this a ton on the show. If you look back July and August, we had so many special so many episodes people. of the show on solar and on and nuclear and on hydrogen. And we'll talk more about nuclear. I love some of these comments. This from Tracy. Uh, Tracy, I don't want to Back check you, because I, I'm, she says there's an old Amish saying, and the Amish may say it, but I've also seen it apply. I've seen that like uh, native Hawaiians. I've seen it as an indigenous proverb uh, presented, but but along the lines of we do not inherit the, the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. Yeah. And that is such wisdom um you know uh how about this from doobie is a fair comment as well Says some of us do think about humanity's future and then we don't have kids Uh, (laughs) which is a fair comment as well um and then this from whiskey uh in the chat who says i will suggest some guests for you that will counter this guy's claims great uh, talk at RyanJesperson.com. I want uh, to let you know, look at this. Uh, I'll, I'll prove it. So to the camera here, so I don't know who wrote this down, but somebody said, you got to talk to Peter Amarongan about heat pumps. And what did I write down? Look into Peter Amarongan heat pumps. Yeah, that, I saw that's that. That's not comment. my typical handwriting, by <laughs> the way, guys. That's scribbling while I'm doing an interview. But but we do note when you when you tell us uh, that there are people that you think we should talk, because this isn't some sort of show where we're funded. There are other podcasts in Alberta that are funded by political parties. I'm not sure if you guys know that. That's not Ooh. us. And so you're it's true. True, and I'm not naming names because they don't deserve the free advertising, <laughs> but those are ones that are only going to give you one side of the story. That's not us, and 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 I appreciated this. Who was it? There was someone that had the, the alliteration. It was Aurora Astra on the chat that said, we do need to do better, and we do need to reduce greenhouse gas impacts, but we need to talk facts. We need to talk facts about costs and barriers. A hundred percent. And Aurora says, uh, heat pumps and, and EVs, electric vehicles, require us to address electrical grid access first. A hundred percent. I we need, agree we with need, you.
2: We need to do a heat pump show. I saw someone make a comment of that. We're we working can, on cause, it. Because we don't know a lot about it. There's lots of different types. I, w- I do want to bring this up. I'm sure you saw this hour has 22 minutes and yeah. the liberal heat Mark pump. So our, our premier, there's the photo there, was <laughs> gifted a heat pump, which... Uh, When he gave it to her, she said, well, this probably won't do much in the winter in Alberta. But I don't know. I I, I didn't laugh, but a, a little bubble above my head was like, is that true? Because I don't think a lot of people in Alberta know because there aren't a lot here. And people, like you said... You have a friend. That's the first person I've heard with one that's utilizing it. Yeah,
0: and that doesn't mean that there aren't more. One thing that we've learned on this show uh, is that the minute that we start discussing something and put it out to you and say, if you have experience on this, please be in touch we're going to get like 40 emails from people that have heat pumps on the prairies you know if you're if you're a farmer outside prince albert saskatchewan that's been using heat pumps gosh i would love to have you on the show you can reach out to us anytime you know people in moose jaw like well what's so special about prince albert no if you're in moose jaw you can come on the show too mm-hmm. and even those folks in estevan but I wanna, would be welcome
2: i, I want to see numbers i don't know what the comparative is between you know, natural gas and a heat pump, or or even in the summer, an air conditioner and a heat pump. I would really like to yeah. have an expert on to give us all those numbers.
0: Bunny Slipper says, "You guys, EVs not an issue for charging the grid." Says, "I can schedule my charging during low usage timeframes." That the argument is garbage. That from Bunny Slippers, there is so much tech. I don't know a ton about it, mm-hmm. but but that there's the idea. Like us old schoolers, that the, <laughs> people that collect classic cars, <laughs> you know, you have a trickle charger, so your batteries. Imagine the principle behind a trickle charger, like slow. But also sometimes your phone yeah. will tell you it's better for your phone if Low it charges slow, yeah. if it charges slow as opposed to fast. So it'll yeah. charge at different times. It's like down in California when they run into their water issues and there's like the watering bands or also the last people set your timer on your washing machine for your clothes yeah. so that it washes them at three in the morning when the demand is lower.
2: And I think that's another thing. People are kind of lazy. They just want to set a button or set, you know, whatever on auto, but it's just, mm-hmm. the EVs are crazy right now. We look at them all the time. You, me and you, Ryan, they're coming out all the time. And the technology is every time there's a new addition from whatever car company, the technology has advanced and advanced and advanced. But I also liked how, how uh, uh, Seth brought up like we can't just put this two degree or three degree like we keep putting it on layaway oh well we'll reduce this and we'll slow it down like it needs to like stop yeah it doesn't need to slow down because I know most of us here who are you know over the age of 30 or whatever we're thinking hey we don't have to deal with this we're gonna be dead when this all affects well and also is that fair
0: and if you're and if you're feeling like um you know if, if you're feeling like number one affordability is is your number one issue Um, you're going to say, that's not a feeling, Ryan, it is our number one issue. Then nobody can blame you for being in problem solving mode. Like if you're, if, if the problem that you're solving this month is how you're going to make your rent payment and still feed the kids, then something, you know, like, you know, 1.5 or three degrees, I understand the way that we're wired as humans. I understand why your number one priority is like, if your house is on fire, address your house fire before you start worrying about whether or not your neighbor's house is going to catch fire. Like I get that. Um, At the same time, I think that we can have these parallel concerns. I think that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. If you didn't check out our real talk Roundtable from November 17th from Friday, uh, the the thumbnail just says broke. That's where you'll find it. Uh, 30% of Canadians basically can't afford to live right now. Encourage you to check uh, that out and, and share um share the the interview today with Seth with your friends and 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 we welcome your feedback. I love this from Lauren little heat pump on the prairie maybe that's what that's what we can call the episode <laughs> hey paul what's up half pint well, Paul, I saw that new heat pump that you installed uh all of this not lost on us as well that 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 uh the cop conference is is happening of course uh in the next few days. Alberta's sending a big delegation uh to cop to the climate mm-hmm. conference and uh and that's something that we'll be paying close attention to as well. We learned. We heard about EVs. We should mention, you know, that the exact, you know, a couple of the the leadership, the leadership team from Kubi Energy was joining us yesterday in studio talking some strategy and stuff. Yeah, and they told us, like, we're not advertising for Ford trucks. We don't have an endorsement with Ford trucks, but they invested in one of those Ford Lightnings that the, they've the, got crazy the electric EVs. half-ton trucks. Yeah, and uh, you know, they're going to brand it all up with Kubi and everything. And, yeah. and you know what they're using it for, Real Talkers? This is amazing. I didn't know this. So the the, uh, the EV half ton, that, and I'm sure that Ford's not the only one that can do this, but this is just what we heard yesterday, uh, you can outlet power so it can send power from the truck to your house. You know that when Kubi is up on your roof, this is turning into a big Kubi ad, but this is just interesting. Oh, it's awesome. When Kubi's on your roof, for, for the one to three days it takes for an install, if you've got like a 6,000 square foot mansion, three days, uh, if you've got a regular house like the rest of us, one day. Um, your entire house, they power when they have to you know, pull everything up and they're running the wires and, and plugging your solar panels into your electrical box and all this. They can run your entire home so the freezer is still going, your heat pump can still go, uh, the kids can still do whatever they're doing. You don't experience an interruption. That F-150 Off the truck. is going to power wow. the entire house for the the duration of the entire installation
2: that uh, now I'm thinking about in emergency situation. Isn't that wild? power outage, brown outage. That's, no, obviously,
0: it doesn't last forever. No,
2: but like you know, a short period of time. That's crazy. And I am, I do want to give props to Alberta. I'm seeing so many more EVs and uh, w- whatever they're called, hybrids, out on the road. So I think people are interested in them. And it comes back to affordability. If it can save people money, yeah, I don't think they give a crap about whether Alberta has to wave the petrol flag i think people are first of all first and foremost just thinking about can i buy more groceries can i pay my bills ahead of time can i pay down my credit card can i save money for retirement and if an ev can help me do that i think they're in
0: sure uh i don't sure that sounded dismissive (laughs) (laughs) what well i sure john sure john what i meant was Agreed. I have a catalog. (laughs) (laughs) What a shout out. Those of you, we've seen uh, a lot of action. It's a fun day for us. Obviously today, our third birthday uh, here on Real Talk, our third anniversary of episode one. Uh, We love you guys and and we mean it so sincerely. Uh, We show up every day because of you. Um, It's why we work. Harder than we would At average Joe jobs But also because This is way more fun And because you Make it worthwhile We get to gather In community with you Uh, A comment here from Noob in our live chat uh, Who threw us Five bucks to our beer fund Which we appreciate In the super chat Um, He says Morning meetings Ruin watching live uh, So it's time to catch up Noob says Happy anniversary Real talk in the live chat Are an essential part Of my morning routine Uh, I don't know what You want to put it Into words What that means to you To read something like that (laughs) Right now Right John's a little can't, for clipped. Can't. He's I'm a little, a little clipped
2: It's like butter.
0: We sure appreciate it. This uh, episode of Real Talk wouldn't be happening without the support of sponsors as well, like Eden Landscaping. You can check out my wife Carrie's Instagram. Just go to Carrie Skelton uh, if you want to see what they did for our backyard. A dramatic transformation. And of course, we're showing you the photos in fall, right? The timing of our project worked out that they were able to complete it before the end of the summer season, which we're grateful for. But you just wait until those hydrangeas, those jack. Japanese lilacs start to bloom. I'm going to be showing you a whole lot more video in the spring and next summer when we're entertaining in that space. You know, we didn't entertain in our backyard for the last three years. I mean, obviously COVID played into it, but also I was just embarrassed about how our yard looked. Uh, The drainage was a real issue. We didn't get much light back there. We got two big dogs. And so the grass just looked terrible. And it was a mud pit every time it rained. We had like old, old brick weeds coming up everywhere. The bricks were disintegrating. We needed a real helping hand. And the team at Eden did an amazing job. They can bring your outdoor space to life as well. Their planning process is where you'll first see their genius. You can find them online at Landscape Edmonton. Ca. And a big shout out as well to our friends at Friesen Brothers. Of course, it's not lost on them that they know one of the big expenses for Canadian families is groceries. That's a fact, and that's why I want to remind you about their Family Essentials Flyer. We use it. It's amazing. You go to Friesen.com, that's F-R-E-S-O-N.com. You go to Flyer, and then click on the Family Essentials Flyer, and what you'll find there is quality food for low prices every day And it's not just that. It's not just your average flyer. It comes with recipes as well. And they make them seasonal recipes. So right now we're talking comfort food, right? Like easy homemade chili, slow cooker pork shoulder, hamburger casserole. How good does that sound? What about beef stew, grilled chicken wings, hamburger patties, and more? It's all in the Family Essentials flyer. You'll find it at Friesen.com.
2: Wow, this light. I was just looking at the lightning over the break. The F-150. It's crazy.
0: I know. We got to go get it. We got to get a and real thing. I thought tuck.
2: it was going to be like 200 grand or something. It's not even.
0: Well, it's not cheap, but it's no, not but crazy. I mean,
2: every, I see one here for like 70, 75. Yeah, I think
0: like pickups right now, $100,000. I can't believe I'm even saying this out loud. But remember when you used to think that pickups were like 45 grand? 50 grand, yeah, and then they were 60 and then they were like 75. They're if you like wanted, like, now. you want like the King yeah. Ranch, or like, I drove that Dodge Ram Longhorn for a long time. I remember seeing the sticker price on the Longhorn, and I was like, What? It's like, is I mean, it's like a Range Rover now, yeah. so uh, you know, okay,
2: never mind. That was that was American. They're it's, not, it's like 86. they're not cheap, but yeah.
0: but you know, they're about 90 G's, but but at the same time, that's no what gas. You pay to play right now, mm-hmm. you know, SUVs right now. This just reiterates that everything costs more, and then. You wait. If you're doing, as my brother calls them, the gas job, you're driving a gas job. If you're driving a gas job and you're filling up a truck with 120 liters right now at like a buck 40 or our friends that are listening in BC right now, whatever they're paying at the pumps, every time you fill up, it's like $200. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. Uh, coming up on tomorrow's episode, we're going to go back to back jacks that's right two real talk round tables with storytellers i'm gonna leave it at that Uh, we're revisiting a round table that we presented two years ago we're bringing back some of the same guests and bringing in a few new ones we love it it's designed to be a round table where we can just have some fun reflect on real life and talk it out because after all for three years and counting that's what we've been doing best thanks so much for being a real talker we'll see you again soon
1: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer, Josh Dunford, technical producer, John Hicks, general manager, Katie Cook-Chivers, account coordinator, Lawrence Derlego, human resources, Lena Shepherd, website design, Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.